Hey, this is the Game Day on Rocket Top podcast, episode uh, 100-something. 76. 176. Uh, Joel Hollingsworth has the answers to that. Joel, does that include uh, old Rocky Top Talk podcasts, or is that exclusively Game Day on Rocky Top podcast number? Um, full disclosure, I think at some point we lost track and we just started making it up somewhere. <laughs> like, like to do with check numbers when you get a new checkbook at the bank. You know, you get you don't want to start with 101 because nobody trusts your checks at that point. So you started at 500 and something. So that's the funny answer. I think it actually includes uh, all the old Rocky Top Talk ones, too. Yeah. We bring that up because this tonight is a Rocky Top Talk podcast reunion of sorts. Uh, we uh, as part of an ongoing effort to try to understand that basketball season that we just finished, which is which is kind of. Uh, we've been doing this now for, I guess, uh, almost a month since the season ended. And, uh, there's a lot of unsettledness, I think in the brains of many. And so, uh, the, a number of bat signals, uh, old Rocky top talk bat signals went up. And so tonight we are pleased to be joined by our old friends, Chris Penley, who you can't see this, but is currently rocking the, uh, Josh Richardson, Miami vice, uh, heat Jersey, uh, which is awesome. Uh, and, uh, and I believe we have Gavin Driscoll on uh, as well. So uh, we are super thrilled uh, to have these guys and to talk basketball uh, again tonight uh, and wander into this. Um, I, Chris, you don't have a, uh, you haven't migrated to a Dallas. I don't even know what the Dallas Mavericks alternate jersey is for Josh Richardson. Oh man, I think they're, they're not on the running the green ones. I think they're like their future version is. Hideous, I think, they, I think they've frankly. got the green ones too. And I've lived in those terrible eighties. Oh yeah. 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 I was here on. Yeah. There's a lot of hideous to go around. The Celtics ones look like uh, Oregon <laughs> uniforms, but we're not here to talk about that. We can, we can discuss some other time. Gavin, I don't know what the, uh, what the Memphis Memphis has had some good alternate unis uh, it, uh, along the way, but um Everybody's. I'm. I'm glad everybody's professional team anyway gets gets to is doing well in some form or fashion, maybe relative to expectation. So, uh, so we want to talk about how we understand basketball seasons, and a lot of this conversation tonight uh, will will lend or lean a little towards NCAA tournament stuff because that's always how your season ends, and that becomes the ultimate taste. But in trying to figure out how to make sense of a season, uh, a 2021 season for Tennessee basketball that doesn't have a lot of clean comparisons. Uh, we found ourselves just asking a lot offline, how, do, how does it compare to others? And so this is the first of two podcasts. This is the less fun one uh, tonight. This tonight or today or whenever you're listening uh, is top or, or least, least satisfying Tennessee basketball seasons. So uh, the season obviously includes the tournament appearance, which in the case of the 21 Vols was a short one, but the season encompasses the entire thing as well. So this is, this is a little more than like worst tournament loss, though we'll get into some of that as we go. So there will be another podcast coming soon where we do the fun stuff, which is most satisfying season. But our effort has been to to try to use satisfying as like the best word we can come up with, not most successful or least successful or whatever relative to expectation, but um, most and least satisfying. So tonight we're each going to walk through uh, our three least satisfying Tennessee basketball seasons. 
I, we, we have not shared notes. I'm assuming there's going to be some overlap, uh, but I'm going to go first and, and kick us off with, with my number one, my, my least satisfying Tennessee basketball season. Uh, when this, uh, the, the possibility of this podcast was raised, the first question I had was, am I allowed to discuss Jerry Green? Uh, to which the answer was yes. So my number one least satisfying Tennessee basketball season is Jerry Green's final season in 2001. Now, that's 20 years ago. Uh, that's half of my life ago. So uh, let me do a, a quick, if you're younger than that or older than that and, and simply don't uh, remember back that far, let me do a quick uh, summary of what happened in 2001 that made it so disappointing. Tennessee won the SEC in 2000. Uh, they split it with some other teams, made the first Sweet 16 in the, the 64-team format of, uh, of the tournament. All that was very exciting. Uh, lost a very disappointing game to North Carolina, but everybody was coming back. Very exciting and, and all that stuff. Uh, Tennessee in 2001 was ninth in the preseason poll. Uh, all of that also very exciting. Uh, and Tennessee got off to an incredible start that year. Tennessee was 16 and one uh, on Tennessee was 16 and one on January 13th. Shout out to basketball reference online. 16 and one on January 13th. Uh, their only loss was to number 14 Virginia at a neutral site game in December. But then they immediately followed that up by beating number 12 Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Let me just say, like, if we beat Syracuse in the Carrier Dome now, that would still be a big deal. It was an incredibly big deal in 2001 uh, and beat them 83-70. It was, it was very satisfying. So, like, this group is, is you know, uh, Tony Harris and Vincent Yarbrough. Ron Slay was a sophomore. Like, this, this group had a ton of talent. They rose to number four in the country. They were 16-1. They lost at Rupp. That happens. They won the next game. They were 17-2. And then things got weird. They lost a double overtime game at Georgia. They lost uh, at Florida. They came back and beat Vanderbilt. Then they lost at overtime at Arkansas. They lost at Ole Miss. So they lost four out of five, but they had a three-game homestand, and everybody thought, well, they'll get it figured out. I was a sophomore in college this year, so I was especially attached to this group of players. And in the three-game homestand, they gave up 103 points to Kentucky, 88 to Florida, and 88 to Georgia. They lost all three games. This is around the time that Jerry Green went on some radio program and said that if fans didn't like what was happening, they could go to Kmart instead, which is how dated that season is back in the day. Tennessee struggled their way to the 8-9 game in the NCAA tournament. They lost to Charlotte, or UNC Charlotte back then, and Jerry Green, even though he made four NCAA tournaments in a row, was kindly asked to no longer be the coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. So from preseason number nine to 16 and one and ranked fourth in the country in the middle of January to the eight, nine game to the coach getting fired. Um, that to me is, is tough to beat in terms of uh, the satisfaction you anticipated and what you actually got. Uh, Chris, Gavin, any, anybody else go back that far? Anybody include the, the Oh one Vols in their least satisfying list? I did not, but I think you've raised a good point about um, Jerry Greed and kind of the the coat the general purpose here, right? The coach that you tolerate because you don't like them a ton, and it works until it doesn't, and then there's no change. It just goes. You are shot, and that is it. And 
Yeah, no, when you tell the fans to go to Kmart, that's when you lose it all. And that's when you lose it all and jump. So, no, Green, Jerry Green was slightly slightly ahead of kind of my time frame. My time frame is a little – it's the stuff the teams that you, I picked were a little more recent. But, like, the part of you can only get away with being difficult when you are successful, absolutely true. No time frame on that one whatsoever. Um, Gavin, I know you were dealing with – computer issues we were talking yes we, we were sitting here joking about the old talk shoe days and it turns out i am yeah. talk shoe, uh with <laughs> the tech so here's a here's a fun fact that i learned about the 2001 season today when you google jerry green tennessee the third article that pops up is will's moments of the decade from 2009 describing the the terrible things that were this season um you know i <laughs> I agree. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school at the time. Um, so this, this has taken me back a little bit as well. And like Jerry Green was really my introduction to basketball because growing up in Knoxville in the nineties, the there had been absolutely no reason to pay attention to Tennessee basketball until Jerry Green came on the scene. So that, that was a nice Renaissance. And we thought that we were getting to a peak in, in 2001. And then uh, as Will said, I think put it kindly, the, the wheels came off. Um, you know, in, in addition to the Kmart quote, there, there was also that Kentucky game uh, where Tony Harris, of course, one of the stars at the time, was, was held out injured, uh, and there was a fight in the game, and he came running off the bench despite having an injured ankle, um, which you can imagine did not play well. And it led to this actual real-life quote um, from Doug Dickey. He put out a statement trying to protect Tony Harris and protect the team. He said this in the middle of February, none of us is happy that we have seen a drift toward mediocrity in recent games. Now, I, I could maybe excuse that if that was in a press conference and that was off the top of the head. No, somebody wrote that down and said, yes, let's lead with drift toward mediocrity. Um, it, it almost felt kind when, when Charlotte did eventually put them out of their misery in the first round of the tournament. That was brutal. Yeah, I and and we'll move quicker because there's no need to spend more time on Jerry Green, you know, than, than we have to. Uh, in the student section, when they when they came to that homestand, the Kentucky, Florida, Georgia homestand, they printed these shirts. It's probably in that thing I wrote 12 years ago. They printed these shirts that said "Not in our house," and and the thing was, like, if you go back and look, I looked at a lot of Ken Palm Tennessee defense this year because the 21 team was so good defensively. Like some of the highest rated Ken Palm Tennessee defensive teams are 99 and 2000. They had CJ Black who blocked a lot of shots, but like Yarbrough, you know, creating turnovers, Tony Harris created some turnovers. They were good defensively. And then in all of those games, they would just get so far behind. They would be down 20, 25 points and then be like, oh, wait, we should, we should try to get back in this thing. And that too is when Thompson Bowling little less full and so you could yell things that you knew were being heard and it was just like the fruitless endeavor of screaming box out like a like you're the coach of a six and under team and no one is doing it and so uh that shirt is in the trash mine was in the trash at thompson bowling arena on the way out of there so uh it that so it's it's good even if you don't go back that far i think it's helpful to say like uh we we've seen some stuff <laughs> around here uh and and it's always helpful for context 
Um, and and uh, that to me is is at the top of, of my list. Gavin, I'm gonna go to you next since you have a, a little bridge uh, with with the the you were sophomore in high school. Um, what is what is number one on your list for least satisfying Tennessee season? Oh yeah, 2001 was actually third on my list. Um, no, number one on my list. I'm, I'm gonna give you a brief background. So we, we were talking before. Joel said, Gavin, are you still? A numbers guy and the answer is yes um, and to help me through this process I actually built a model um, and you know gave very very subjective weights across a number of categories basically coming down to were you any good how were you playing at the end of the season did you beat good people did you lose to bad people how'd you do in the tournament did I enjoy watching you play basketball so that was that was generally the system that I came up with and I was somewhat surprised uh, that the team, the, the tournament team, at least, that came out at the top of my list was 2011. Um, so th this was Bruce's last season. I'm kind of surprised by this, um, but I think you, you got to look a little bit at preseason expectations. They were coming off the uh, Elite Eight run the, the year before. Yes, they lost some pieces. They lost J.P. Prince and Wayne Chisholm. But Tobias Harris was coming in. Uh, they were actually um, a fringe top 25 team. We didn't quite know what we were going to get. Um, they start off great. They, they had two wins over a Belmont team that was actually top 25 in Kim Palm. Um, they absolutely annihilated Memphis, which is always fun. Uh, I say that now that I live in Memphis. I still very much enjoy that. And, and they went to Pittsburgh. And, and this is the peak of the Jamie Dixon days, again, this was a top five Kim Palm team. They got a one seed that year, and Tennessee just throttled them, led by double digits for 30 minutes of the game. Um, and it felt like they had arrived. And then we had the Pearl timeline. The Pearl timeline starts to permeate everything in this season. Um, they, they had announced in November that he missed the first uh, eight SEC games. And in case you had never watched the Tennessee basketball game, they just wanted to remind you of that about every five minutes for every game that was broadcast the rest of the year. Um, once that happened, they started just playing bad basketball. Um, so as I said, they, they had four top 30 Kimpom wins in the first, you know, 10, 12 games. And then they registered zero for the rest of the season. Um, just because you know of my dual allegiances, I have to call out there. There were two other top 50 wins the entire season. They were both Vanderbilt go doors. Um, so that that's where they were. They they just were leaking oil all over the place by the time they get to the end of the season. And again, I, I've already referenced an athletic director, Doug Dickey, once in my comments. Well, you can't tell the story of this season without talking about Mike Hamilton basically kneecapping Bruce Pearl um, right before the NCAA tournament. And predictably, they, they go out and get shelled by 30 by Michigan in that 8-9 game. Personally, I, I have a little extra uh, juice for this season. So I was living in Richmond, Virginia at the time and thought, you know, this, this draw is okay. They got Michigan, Duke, I think, with Kyrie Irving just coming back from injury. I think that's the worst one seed. So I drove down to Charlotte, um, and within about an hour of me being there, the balls have been annihilated. I lost my debit card um, and actually a Michigan fan found it and messaged me on Facebook. So I got it back, but I spent all of our karma uh, in that exchange. Um, so again, I, I was kind of surprised at how this played out, but 2011 was my most unsatisfying tournament team. Chris, is this on your list as well? Yes, it is. It is number two for me, actually. Literally my first note was gotta have a timeline. <laughs> Like literally the rest of it. So 
I would imagine most of the people listening to this are kind of familiar with a lot of the Bruce Pearl era and how exciting and kind of how exciting that was, how new it was. Like, hey, we've got these awesome things. And what did we learn in late 2000 Tennessee? Nothing gold can stay. And not only can nothing gold stay, everything burns down in the process too. Bruce Pearl, who originally got himself noticed for narking, narking other coaches out to the NCAA, why to the NCAA? Yeah, whoops, that totally didn't result in a show cause penalty, which ended up with him at Auburn. Nice, great, that's wonderful. You know what's also enjoyable about this? This was also the year we had Tobias Harris. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, God bless the dude too. He would roll off these quietest, like, 18 points that you would see. Um, this is also – so actually, this has an impact on a little bit of one of my, of one of my other teams, too, which we'll kind of get to, get to here in a little bit. But, I mean, Gavin covered a lot of the rest of it. So, Yeah, these guys are number two on my list as well. Um, I, uh, when people talk about, uh, most talent at Tennessee, um, the, and if you count Josiah in the mix, this past team had the most talent cause they had three, five stars, but the two highest rated recruits at Tennessee in the recruiting rankings era are Tobias and Scotty Hobson. Uh, and they just didn't, they just weren't well suited for each other. Uh, I think, uh, and, and didn't seem to, I, 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 could probably look it up real quick, but I seem to recall a stat of they just they didn't assist each other. Literally, they didn't assist each other very often. They they didn't share the ball well. Tobias probably the best freshman I've ever seen at avoiding like going length of the floor and not getting a charge, avoiding contact. He was great at that. Um, I watched that Michigan beating uh, from seminary. I was in I was in a class in seminary watching us get hammered and trying not to say bad words and all that other stuff. I also had that experience with the um, Gavin's got his Braves head on with the, uh, the Braves uh, Cardinals infield fly game. I was also in a seminary class for that. So nothing, nothing good happened to me on that campus uh, sports wise. So yeah, I, I, everybody just covered it well um, that uh, a, a miniature kind of of what happened in 2001, where they got off to the, the big start, the big wins with Villanova and, and Pittsburgh, and then the whole thing falls apart and your coach is not your coach anymore. Uh, I, the great lesson of, of 11 to me, if, if we want to introduce anything positive in this is, I mean, I, I wrote a big thing about how Tennessee should keep Pearl, even in the face of a one year um, show cause and all that stuff. I undersold the program's ultimate ceiling with just believing in the notion that a lot of folks did uh, later on with Pearl before Rick Barnes uh, caught on that the, the ceiling would never be as high as it would be with Pearl. Uh, and that, that just made that so tough. The finality of not only did your season end poorly, but now that era is done. Um, that, that's, um, I, I'm not surprised that that showed up on all three of our lists. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's no good at all. Um, so we've, we've covered my number one and Gavin's number one, Chris, what is number one on your list? So at the outset, we'll mention tournament teams and I'm not going to lie. I went off the board for my number one. This is actually not a tournament team. And part of the reason behind that is, remember what I said a minute ago, nothing gold can stay. We're going to have to go back to turmoil. What do we remember, what do we remember about, late, about late 2000s Tennessee football? You had Lane Kiffin here for one year. He bounced. Everything died. What happened five years later? Oh, that's right. Conzo Martin left, leaving us with Donnie Tyndall. 
and the only thing that was that was satisfying out of this was finding out in what 2017 he was cutting probos for some sort of some wrestling company out of East Tennessee. Was that 2017 or 26? Like was that 2018? I don't. I see Gavin dropping. I see I Gavin dropping. Oh, that's fuzzy. Um, <laughs> so is his, I think. Fair. So, speaking of other, also speaking of coaches who got hit with, got hit with show causes. Um. So, you have to remember where we were where we were as a you know as a program with Tennessee, right? We haven't had stability. And we talk about football a lot that doesn't have stability. And we went through the timeline four years ago. We had a coach piece out to go to Cal. That's where our basketball program is. We come in and we have a, and we have a, and we have a coach who is successful to begin the year, right? We have, I mean, he, you know, we have wins over a top 15 Butler. We have wins over a top 20 Arkansas. We're not in bad shape to start the season, right? Like, we're not in bad shape. We're not in bad shape. Things are going decently well, and there's um, somebody picks up an injury. And I forget, I forget who it is. The relevant part here is that they close going four and eleven. What's the best win in that time period? It's a win over Johnny Jones. <laughs> yeah, that's never a good sign. Um, and the part that is incredibly dissatisfying to me personally, as well noted, I'm currently wearing a Josh, Josh Richardson jersey. This is his senior year. He was, hey, Josh Richardson, you want to do everything? Cool. Unfortunately, we're not going to do enough for you. So was it a tournament team? No. Was it deeply unsatisfying and frustrating to me personally? Yes. Is it on anyone else's list? I would be surprised. But that, that is, by the way, not one, but two Tennessee coaches hit with show causes within a five-year time span. Although, at least in this case, the show cause wasn't for anything that happened in Tennessee this time around. So what happens after this, right? After this, we're all staring into the abyss. We have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know Rick Barnes is showing up, showing up afterwards. So what's going through our heads at the end of this year? At the end of this year, we're going, well, crap. Now we've got to go find a new coach. We've been down this path before. Are we going to end up with basketball Derek Dooley by the time we're all done? Did it work out amazingly well? Yes. Did we know that at the time? No. And so if you go back in time then, it felt like everything that came, everything that Pearl might have brought up. And then Conta Martin kind of did a decent job keeping up. We'll call it that. That's a different conversation. Um, all of that was gone. And that was the, that was the feeling like, hey, I hope we enjoyed touching the, I hope we enjoyed touching the clouds because we're never going to see him again. I will just say for that season uh, that according to Kim Palm, just to you know, continue the theme of my own personal pain, the best wins that they had after things fell apart were Vanderbilt twice. Uh, Vanderbilt. All right. I feel Kim better. Palm, cool. LSU. <laughs> yes. A classic Vanderbilt uh, in the SEC tournament, a classic Tennessee Vanderbilt game. Uh, Josh Richardson big and that one too. I don't think Josh Richardson ever came out of the game for Donnie Tindall. Uh, that team and, and Chris mentioned this, they were 12 and five in mid January, uh, working magic. And then they, I, I, Gavin, you may have this. I think they ended up being the worst Tennessee team in the Ken Palm era. Um, at the end there, they would have defensive possessions where the other team like pre Harden pre Nate Oates, the other team was getting a three or a dunk, like every time down the floor, it, that, that team is probably the time post uh, Wade Houston that I was like, 
I don't want to watch this. Like I want to watch this the least, um, the tail end of that year. So that's, that's a, yeah, that I think it's a good point about the place it put us when all that fell apart and, and Tyndall had to get fired. Um, the uncertainty of all that and feeling like everything you'd gained was lost. That's, that is certainly deeply unsatisfying. Well, and, um, and Chris, this just broadly supports your point, right? Like you're, you're staring into the abyss and it's ultimately a question of leadership because we knew there, there was already some smoke around Donnie Tyndall when they hired. And then of course uh, the smoke turns into a full blown five alarm conflagration. And here we are. Right. And it's also, it's also something that like, you know, Tennessee fans are going to be familiar with this, right? The concept of like, oh, you know, is it safe, right? Is it safe to be a Tennessee fan again? We had this time period where we felt mostly safe as a Tennessee fan, even through kind of the Conzo years, we felt like it could get back to something we were okay with. And nope, you think we're going to yank all that, we're going to yank the rug out from under you, throw you down a set of stairs, and maybe you get up from there, don't know. Um, football, by the way, we're still falling downstairs. We're not going to. Um, that's just like an MC Escher painting, by the way. I don't know how that ends. Will, that so was also the to second, worst, worst, will, second um, worst team in the Kim Pum era. Second worst. So, second uh, worst. Okay. Yeah. Josh Richardson averaged 36.3 minute, minutes a game. You are correct, basically. Yeah. I, um, I can't prove this, and the poll no longer exists. But when we were hiring Tyndall on Rocky Top Talk, we did one of those, you know, who do you want polls? And, and, and I mean, you know, uh, we, we, uh, there were a lot of people going to old RockyTopTalk.com uh, back in the day. I'm sure there still are. And uh, Donnie Tyndall won that poll by an unusual amount, like an unusually large amount. I remember thinking at the time, like, this seems strange to me, like Donnie Tyndall or Donnie Tyndall and Associates are holed up in some library in Southern Miss, refreshing our page and getting students to vote for him in this poll to be like, no, he's the obvious choice. Uh, so, I forgot about the bots. Yeah. 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 The poll no longer exists. That post is still up, but the poll is no longer embedded in it. I have looked. So, uh, yeah, for, for not making the tournament, that's not um, that's that's a pretty good choice. All right. So we've covered. Uh, and a, a good poll from Chris on a, a non-tournament team. Uh, I, I shout out as well to uh, Buzz Peterson's last year. If we're, if we're going back to non-tournament teams, that's an excellent, uh, an excellent non-satisfying situation there. But again, no need to spend more time unnecessarily on that. All right. So we've covered all of our number ones and, uh, and sharing the, the, our list. A couple of our number twos have gone off the board. Gavin, your number two still uh, up in the air. What is your second least satisfying season all right and we've already talked a little bit about Conzo there are lots of things about the Conzo era broadly speaking that were frustrating whether it was the slow starts when then you try to you know pull it together rapidly in February and see if you can pull it all together and make the tournament um there's your back-to-back 37-36 followed immediately up by a 46-38 uh, Chris and I had the pleasure of seeing 3736 in person uh, up at, was it still the MCI Center back then or was it Verizon? I, I think it was, Ver- it was Verizon by then. It was terrible is my point. Um, but <laughs> so the, the, before, you, before you continue, by the way, I would like to note that literally I have a separate line in my notes about the 3736 game. <laughs> so fair, uh, man. 
I, I still have PTSD about that nine years later. Um, but I think the, the difference between Conzo's first two teams and the last team, which I, with, after all my preamble, my actual number two is the 2014, 2013-14 team uh, for least satisfying. The, the difference is that the 13-14 team was good. They were legitimately a good basketball team. And like you, you thought early on they were going to be decent. They were fringe top 25. They were third in the, the preseason SEC media poll and one of the first seasons of us having 14 teams. We, we did the thing that we, I feel like we always do in sports where you assume that uh, development is linear and you look at, oh, well, they were good at the end of the previous season, so they're, they're going to build on that uh, and be good at the beginning of this season. And that's just not how it played out. You, you had the duality of Conzo in the non-conference that you had a 35-point win against Virginia. Again, just like I talked about Pittsburgh earlier, this was a Virginia team that got a one seed, and this team beat them by 35 points. On the flip side, in the non-conference, played a game at UTEP for reasons I do not really understand, and they managed to lose to UTEP, uh, who was in the hundreds in Kim Palm, uh, just for a fun fact on stats for that game, Tennessee was three of 21 from three and 23 of 39 from the line, 16 missed free throws in that UTEP game. So that was fun. Um, so you, you have this again, sort of duality of the, the non-conference and then you, you get into the conference season and they just didn't beat anybody good. Um, now, of course, part of that is that the SEC was no good at this time. Um, this was one of the years where they only got, I think three teams in the, in the NCAA tournament. They didn't beat Florida. They didn't beat Kentucky. Caveat that this was one of the stupid years we only played Kentucky once. Thankfully, we browbeat the SEC into not doing that anymore. Um, but really, if you're going to talk about what embodies the frustration of this season, you can't go through it and not mention Antoine Space. <laughs> Antoine Space, uh, for those of you who might not remember, was a somewhat no account forward who played well he played for three teams he played for florida state then he transferred to texas a&m played a couple years there and then finished his career at umass antoine space in his career attempted 111 threes he made 26 of them which is a robust 23 percent two of them beat tennessee in this season the game in knoxville tennessee was ahead the whole time i've I will spare everybody. I have a play-by-play -play of the last 40 seconds because it just, it really is a microcosm of how you alienate the fan base. Uh, <laughs> but Antoine Space hits the game winner with seven seconds left. Down one, Tennessee attempts a three. They miss it, they lose. At the, the repeat match in College Station, Tennessee actually sort of flips the script. They have an eight-point comeback in the last two minutes. Jarnell Stokes gets fouled on an and one with one second left. Free throw to win the game. He misses. Game goes to overtime, score is tied, Antoine Space strikes again with five seconds left. So again, you just, you, you take all of these and put them together and just this season encapsulated everything that was frustrating about Conzo. You, you get to the SEC tournament, you put up a 14-point second half in a loss to uh, Florida, which I feel like Chris will appreciate this. I, we've probably thrown in comment sections quite a few times the uh, picture of Pat Adams bug-eyed blowing his whistle uh, when he called a phantom technical foul on Jerron Maiman at the end of that Florida game uh, that gave Florida a little crucial cushion. Um, 
but again, I digress. So, so this team, this team finished 10th in Ken Palm, second highest final season Ken Palm rating of any team that Tennessee has had in the last 20 plus years of the Ken Palm era. And they, they, they only get into the tournament via Dayton. They go to overtime where they put together a great five minutes to dispense with Iowa. Uh, they get a probably overrated UMass team, obliterate them. They're granted, uh, gifted Mercer in the second round after they beat Duke, obliterate them. And then you get Michigan. <sighs> and that Michigan game, again, uh, a perfect microcosm of Conzo. Down, down 15 with 11 minutes left. They claw all the way back, down one with the ball. And it wasn't a very imaginative play call. And it was a very questionable charge call. But that's how they lost to Michigan by one point. Um, and that's how the season ended. I, I feel like I also have to mention, we, we called out the, the Bruce Pearl timeline with the, the 2011 season. The 2014 season also has the undercurrent of Bruce's three-year show causes over, hey, let's bring him back while we have what was, again, based on the metrics, one of the best teams that we've ever had. And as Chris mentioned earlier, it ends up running Conzo off to Cal, and you don't know what you're going to get after. So 2014, my second least satisfying basketball team. I have written maybe a million words on Conzo Martin, uh, like 250,000 of them after he left, uh, probably. So, Chris, I'll defer to you, and, I, and then I'll try to keep my Conzo thoughts uh, to, to a minimum. What, your thoughts on 14? So it's interesting, actually. Um, on a deeply personal level, I complain. So backing up a tick, right? For Tennessee, it hurt to have a coach be successful, come to, come, I, so for the record, when Gavin was talking about the charge, I muted myself because I can't talk about the charge without profanity. Am I over it now? Yeah, no, no, I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for asking. Good. Um, the, so for Conzo to basically go like, oh, y'all, like, if in Conzo's shoes, right, I completely understand him being frustrated and walking. Like, is that a completely set? Is it so? Is that a, was that a completely satisfying experience for Conzo to turn in that effort and just walk? Yeah, actually, I can completely understand that. That is completely reasonable. Um, so that's a, yeah, like that's a. I get where you're com I get where you're coming from, and I remember writing something um, in the lead into this in the lead into, I think this would have been probably February, 2014 is my guess, where I was kind of going through Conzo. Like if you look at Conzo Martin's performance relative to like historical Tennessee performance, he was right about average. Like not like he was not Buzz Peterson. Um, he would not be Donnie Tyndall, uh, but he wasn't Bruce Pearl and that's okay. Like, and kind of with some of the stuff he was doing at Missouri, like, you know, he is, he is getting better. He is improving as a coach. You admittedly, we hired him. On, we hired him on potential, but he wasn't doing anything that was incredibly different from what we know about Tennessee basketball historically. And if we go from that to no nah, man, I'm piecing out. I'm going to Cal. I can understand how you get there. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand how you get there. I uh, 
I had my uh, my We Promise No Petitions t-shirt on like two days ago. I should have worn it uh, for this podcast. Uh, the um, I, I'll say this. Uh, one, uh, living, I, I'm back living in Virginia now, and I, I have acquired uh, a, a bunch of really smart UVA fans uh, in my life. And uh, one of them who is, used to be a, a D1 assistant coach, um, he says that Virginia game – uh, like that's the thing that made UVA's players buy into what Bennett wanted to do that. It was like, cause Tennessee scored 87 points on them. And that, that was the moment where UVA was like, look, if you're not completely bought into this, we're going to get hammered um, and, and get hammered at the time by a bad Tennessee team. That was as Gavin mentioned, seven and four coming into that game with losses uh, to UTEP and NC state. Uh, so just as a historical footnote, that performance uh, was not only good for Tennessee's season, it was good for Virginia's program. Uh, I find I, I, this is a team where like the writing on the, on the site at the time and interacting with fans all the time and feeling like a constant wave of trying to be like, well, let's, first of all, they're not going to hire Bruce Pearl. And second of all, let's wait. Like this team could still make the tournament. Um, even after that second Antoine space, uh, situation, just being like, like, let's just wait, just wait and, and make sure they're dead before we try to do any of this. And then uh, of course they were not dead to me. Um, uh, that tournament run contains like, if we were talking about individual games, most and least satisfying that tournament run contains one of my favorite like Mo- that Mercer win, even Mercer was a 14 seed, whatever. But the satisfaction of like getting through to the sweet 16 after all of that, to me, that was, that's one of my favorite. It, 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 I don't remember much about the UMass win, which was, you know, much more impressive on paper, but that Mercer game just feeling like, Holy cow, these guys are going to the sweet 16. Like we, we were trying to fire him two weeks ago. Um, that to me was deeply satisfying and then you turn it around with a Michigan game. One thing about Tennessee's most, like the, if we were doing this podcast just about individual NCAA tournament games, one thing that the hardest losses have in common is this weird thing where most of the team was coming back the next year. 2007, Ohio State sucked like so bad, but most of the team was coming back the next year. Loyola, awful. But all of those guys, except for James Daniel, were coming back the next year. North Carolina in 2000. That one still, to me, probably the worst. Um, but all those guys were coming back the next year. Incidentally, that's, that next year was 2001, uh, which, is, which is at the top of my list. But the 14 Michigan game, those guys were not coming back. Uh, and that, that loss... Uh, and then the uncertainty that it led to was, uh, was, was no good at all. I'll say here too. I, and in the moment I undervalued, I thought Tennessee should have paid. I thought they should have offered Conzo more money at that point. And assuming that Conzo was doing a good job at Tennessee among coaches that were not named Bruce Pearl. And turns out again, Tennessee ceiling is higher than I thought it was. And that's not a mistake you want to be uh, in the business of making. So all right, I got. We've all got our Conzo feelings uh, out there, uh, Chris. Let's go to you. So we've uh, Gavin's list is complete. Uh, Chris, let's go to Joel. Joel wants to jump in. Joel did not get his Conzo feelings out. Well, no, I just uh, have a producer's note here that we don't usually publish the video on these, but I'm, 
I'm considering it because Gavin looks like he's sitting in the stands reliving these these memories. <laughs> he's trying to stifle the surrender cobra. He's rubbing his face. He's really <laughs> terrible feelings. All over. I, just, I just feel some of these feelings very strongly and, and Antoine's face uh, just to the depths of my soul still crushes me. I got that feeling. That's that second one in, in the list of funny places I was. That second one, I kid you not, I was at the circus. <laughs> I was at the circus <laughs> on a on an older smartphone where like I didn't have, you know, I couldn't watch it. So I had the box, you know, Jarnell Stokes misses free throw one of two or whatever. And then when I saw Space's name, I was like, that cannot be right. Like I had to look and see if it was the old game, you know, like, so yeah, that's uh that's Conzo. That was that's the full Conzo uh, there for uh, Will. For... If it makes you feel any better, I still have a mental block with Texas A&M players with five-letter last names. I think it's the same guy every single time. I have the same problem with Georgia kickers, by the way. Yeah. They just had the same guy for like, it's all been Gordon Eli Kelso since two thousand three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, all right, Chris, but let's get to the yeah. team. So speaking, yeah, speaking of uh, Conzo feelings, uh, we're not actually done with them yet because. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Will is, yeah, yeah. Uh, number one, I'm still upset about the 37-36. Um, I will not forgive him for that, but that's actually not the season I'm going with. I'm actually going to go with Conzo's first season because, again, we didn't know, right? Remember, we were, you know, we just had our hearts broken with Pearl, right? And Conzo is going to come in, and he is going to, I mean, I mean, at this point, you know, looking back, we know what we, you know, know what it is, right? Mediocre out of conference, rips off some serious wins late in the year. Didn't know how that works. All we know is that we lost at Oakland, and like, not not Golden State, like Oakland, like the one in Michigan, and we lost at College of Charleston, which is even a weirder return game. I'm still not entirely sure how that worked. Um, and it wasn't like this. It we didn't know, right? You didn't know that the Conzo experience was going to be that um, that they kind of struggle and have you have to go on this like miraculous eleven and one run to make the tournament. We didn't know that yet. We just kind of knew like, what is this? This sucks. And that was about as far as we had gotten. Um, so then, when they turn up in the back half of the year. They beat UConn, always a great move. I don't care which team it is. Good job, guys. Um, beat Florida, get their skulls caved in by Kentucky, whatever. This is another one of the times we only played them once. Beat Florida again, nice little 2-0 nice against Florida. We got a nice little run. I don't remember if Will wrote a piece about how much noise Tennessee needed to make, it, needed to make in the SEC tournament to make the tournament. Didn't matter, lost to Ole Miss. Ended up in the NIT. Um, so what happens when the, con when the Conzo experience doesn't quite go well, that's kind of what it looks like. And I remember, um, we've talked about, we've talked about Barnes a little bit. Um, one of the things when I was talking to Gavin, when we hired Barnes was like, okay, well, one of the things that you may have to, we may have to get used to is sometimes you just lose a round early. And with Conzo, it was kind of the same deal. We weren't like we we kind of figured this out a little bit in the next year, not as much the first year, but like it didn't quite end up where we thought it was going to. And if that happened in a vacuum, that's one thing, right? I literally just was sitting here five minutes ago talking about how Conzo had done stuff 
that was fairly typical for Tennessee. But we just came off a of pearl, right? We just came off of a, ser a string of tournament appearances, and now we're losing to Ole Miss and ending up in the NIT? No, we don't like that. That's not going to work. And it's not his fault. And there's 80,000 other things going on that we're all plowing through because otherwise, um, you know, full disclosure, we're recording this at night. We don't want to be recording this Wednesday morning because that's about how long <laughs> it would take to get through all of this stuff. But no, like I'm not against talking about a Conzo team as a disappointment. I just, I don't think 2013, 14 was the right one or yeah, 2013, 14, I don't think was the right one. 11, 12, I can understand. Or if you were actually at 37, 36 game and that ruined your perception of 2012, 2013, it's cool, man. I understand. I'm not here to judge. Extra, extra fun fact about that Ole Miss SEC tournament game. Skyler McBee hits a prayer three with like one second left to send it to overtime, and then they do nothing in overtime. Ole Miss goes on like a 10-0 run and wins that game going away. But, of course, they ended up with a one seed in NIT. So, yes, I'm sure Will did have an article about the bracket math. Probably about one win short, probably where they ended up, about one win short. The uh, If you're looking for, like, the low point of Tennessee athletics um, – that the aforementioned lost at Oakland, uh, then they lost to Pittsburgh in Knoxville. Pittsburgh's good, whatever. Then they lost to Austin P, uh, and they lost at College of Charleston. That four game losing streak started uh, two days after Derek Dooley lost at Kentucky in football. So, like, if you're looking for like when did I feel the worst, <laughs> it's the end of it, that December of 2011. Um, we just lost to Kentucky in football, and oh no, we might be real bad in basketball after being real good for six years. Uh, that's that's a that's a rough year. I'm so relieved. I like I love. I wasn't at the 37-36 game in person, so that may. I I adore Conzo's second team. Those guys got hosed on Selection Sunday, and that run of games where they beat A and M in four overtimes, and they beat Kentucky by thirty, and they beat a really good Florida team. I love that team. I, I just I think that team was was really good. Jarnell was kind of figuring it out along the way. You know, Maimon didn't play, uh, right? Yeah, Maimon didn't play that year uh, when he was trying to get healthy. Uh, Trey Golden on that team. I just I, I I really like that group. So I was I was really relieved. I was like, no, not I love those guys. Uh, so, so I believe Gavin, correct me if I'm wrong. I think. I was sitting in, I think I was sitting like front row upper deck and Gavin, I think was in the upper deck somewhere, maybe in the other side. And we met up at halftime. Um, and we're just like, why did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen Tennessee in person in years. They haven't come up this way in forever. And why are we here? Uh, that was an 18-16 halftime score, just if you're keeping track at home. Tennessee was ahead. Uh, so... Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Chris, for bringing that. Yeah. yeah. Just, just nothing. Just get it. Let's get it all out, man. So I, so it's just me left, right? Everybody's yeah. everybody else is through. I feel so bad. Like when we started this exercise, I didn't think I was going to be, so I, I have this year um, as my last one. And when we started this conversation, I just assumed I was going to be the only one that had that on there um, because I've been going through like in, in the stuff that I'm writing, I wrote a long thing today on, on, uh, one and dones that make the NCAA tournament, which is a super low number after 2015, especially lottery picks. So like you can, you can read me trying to talk myself into like, this wasn't, 
this was okay. Um, another thing that I've got in drafts that I'm working on is like Barnes doesn't lose to bad teams. Uh, Oregon State, as it turns out, much better, much better than we thought. We, we maybe another podcast to discuss that in full, but like at least when you look at advanced stats, Barnes teams don't have among Tennessee tournament teams. Uh, there's not a 2011 at Charlotte 49 48 loss uh, on the list or a UTEP or an Antoine space or, or that sort of thing. So like I have actively tried to talk myself into let's find like something compelling about this team. And I, I think you can see it. I mean, the, the three teams I've picked are all they're They're the ones 2001, 2011, 2021. They all fit the same model of we got off to a really good start and then it just didn't. And, and this year's team doesn't have the complete collapse. You know, we're not firing the coach, uh, anything like that. But I, I think I just never, I, I never, I assumed defensively that they would continue to improve or at least stay. Cause I just feel like defense that's easier to, to do. Uh, and that just, that just didn't happen. Um, I, I, you know, their worst loss statistically is the loss at Auburn. Um, and, and those guys were, they were down, uh, Cooper didn't play in that game, right? They, they were, so like, there's some weirdness in there for sure. And they were fragile, just, uh, you know, Fulkerson out when Pons got in foul trouble. They, those lineups in that Oregon state game are, are not, not a lot of minutes together on the floor. The guys that were playing in the most important game of the year. So, some of, let me say again, I, I'm in this, I'm only using, I use tournament teams. I would have Buzz Peterson's last season way higher than, than this year's team. Donnie Tindall's year higher than this year's team. But among tournament teams, I, in part, it's a testament to Tennessee. I think their other tournament teams have done such a good job getting in there. So, Chris, you have some thoughts? Yeah. So, first off, as soon as Will said we weren't firing the coach, what is the first thing I do? I check Twitter to make sure we haven't fired the coach during the podcast. Welcome to Tennessee Fandom. We did not fire the coach as of the time I am saying the sentence. Hopefully, it's still true by the time you're listening to this. Um, so, I think the first note I made was about 37-36 game. The second note I made was, what on earth do you do with this year? I can understand anyone thinking this year was the least satisfying Tennessee year. Um, I can understand some people being satisfied with this, with this year because this year was weird for reasons that had nothing to do with the basketball team. And I don't know how you separate that. Um, remember this team was supposed to play Gonzaga, right? Like yep. you're supposed to like, play Gonzaga early on in the year. COVID didn't happen. You had people kind of bounce, like we had, there were shutdowns. People were kind of bouncing in and out. You had college students who were effectively running on some level of sports-related lockdown for four or five months. I'm not going to lie. If people got mentally exhausted out of that and went, no, nah, I'm good, how mad can I be? Um, do I get being unsatisfied about it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, like there was a completely defensible position for that. This team was super talented. And if they turn in this season in a non-COVID year, yeah, no, I, yeah, they'd be up here. That's completely reasonable. I just don't know what to do with COVID. I, I think that's very fair, Chris. And I, I actually had this year as one of my honorable mentions. Um, you know, Chris, related to what you said, I think 
there's the, the team perspective of the impact of COVID, but I, I think I put this in a comment section on one of Will's articles. I think there's also the fan perspective of just everything that we all have been through in the last year, you know, we're trying to find some moments of Zim. And when this team is seven and zero and 10 and one and rated in the top 10, you're, you're feeling like this, this is something that can bring me joy. You know, that was the, the last very subjective category in my uh, highly analytical model was joy. And, and through the middle of January, this team brought me a lot of joy. And then as that all started to unwind, I think that that's part of what made, uh, you know, the last couple months so unsatisfying. I think there's also a little bit of a through line, Chris, to what you said about the, the 2015 team. Yes, Twitter, Twitter confirms that we're not firing a coach at this moment, but there, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, I think, about next year. You know, we've got two new assistant coaches coming in, and then you look at the roster, you've got 13 scholarship guys, and right now five of them are back um, between four people on the transfer portal and – uh, two one-and-done freshmen going to the, the NBA, and Pons is going to try his hand as well, and we don't know what's going to happen with Fulkerson. There's a lot of uncertainty from a, from a coaching perspective, from a roster perspective, what next year looks like. And I think, you know, we, we would hope that Barnes has earned the benefit of the doubt, and to, to Will's point, the, the ceiling has been raised, and you hope that next year is going to build on some of the good things that this year's team was able to do in the first half. But you don't know. There are no guarantees. And I think that that makes it challenging as well. Yeah. And another thing, actually, that kind of Gavin, once you started talking, I just thought about another way I can see thinking of this year as unsatisfying is Tennessee was kind of running a dinosaur offense. Um, So it was an offense that was kind of heavy on heavy on mid range shots in a game that isn't really acting like that a whole lot anymore. there was also an issue on defense, and I really noticed this the first time back in 2018-19. And now that I've now that I'll bring it up, I am sorry for everybody else for noticing this. Where you have, um, in essence, you could t- teams could run offense against Tennessee to suck a defender off of the corner to give an open corner three. And if you've been following anything involving shot selections, what are the best shots you can get? Layups and corner threes. Tennessee, by and large, wasn't look, wasn't isn't seeking those shots in 2021, and they were giving up at least the corner three. And from a sense of like, okay, everyone's talking about this. How have we not made a couple of adjustments on this front? How much longer do we have to deal with it? Again, I can kind of see that as a reason for being kind of unsatisfied with how this with how this season ended. I think just to bring it back to COVID, because that's where everything has to come back to, I, I, you know, I, I, quality time is my love language. If I was in the building when they beat Kansas, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of their other, the senior day against Florida, maybe a lot of their other stuff is, is on the road. Um, I think that would form more concrete memories for me and, and probably a lot of people. Um, it's just such a strange, because then, you know, it turns out, hey, Kansas is good. Like at the time we thought eh, th- these guys are kind of, th- this is not their thing, but they were good. They were a three seed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's more than anything, it's a struggle to, to try to place them. Um, and, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's Oregon state so much. Like I, I get, again, I get what happened in that game. Um, it's just kind of why when two guys go down or one guy goes down and another guy gets in foul trouble, why are we so lost 
here in game whatever, you know, normally game 32 or something like that or whatever game it was in, in COVID land. So um, I don't even think that, even though that's the first time Tennessee had been upset in the first round as a seed higher than seven, um, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's just about the losing in the first round. I think it's just kind of the uncertainty of, of the whole thing. Let me say, as I've tried to always say and have written, I'm really grateful they played. Uh, I'm grateful that they were here for us to talk about how unsatisfying it was uh, to, you know, I, it helped my pandemic and I, I, I hope it helped everybody's listening to this to have them to watch and talk about on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So actually one thing to the, um, to the quality time and love language, I will go ahead you know, me and my gigantic Tennessee online presence, I'll go ahead and call my shot now. I actually think Fulkerson comes back. I think not having a senior night with a full house for him is a big enough deal that I actually kind of think he would come back just for that. And I wouldn't say that about a whole lot of people, but yeah, like if there's anyone who would do it just for that purpose, I can see him being that guy. I just wonder like, what is he, does he want to play in Europe? You know, like, right. does he want to play in wherever? What does he want to coach? What's what's next for him? Uh, the, someone pointed out maybe the VolQuest podcast that like Fulkerson's gonna be 24 next year. Does he want to hang out with? You know, I'm sure Kennedy Chandler's a lovely human being. Does he want to hang out with 17 and 18 year olds? You know, um, on the flip side, I think Kennedy Chandler could do wonders for for him. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'll be curious to see. Uh, final uh, honorable mentions, Gavin. You've got some honorable mentions before we close this down. Yeah, last, last team I had on here was 2009. Um, so probably probably the first pearl team that didn't just exude pure joy all the time. Um, a little bit of may have been overrated starting the season. You know, you were coming off 2008 with the the team that made number one. You you lose Juwan Smith and Chris Lofton. That it's going to be a shift. Uh, but you had. Tyler Smith and, uh, you know, Will, as you said, uh, Scotty Hobson coming in as probably at the time the, the top ranked recruit that they've ever had. And it just, it never quite came together. Um, one thing I remember about that team is being incredibly bad at threes. Um, I think they were near 250th in the country in terms of three point percentage, but they shot a lot of them in important games. Um, whether that was uh, the, Final final game against Alabama in the regular season, uh, where they had a chance to win the SEC East, and they blew it. Alabama banked in a three late. Um, they make the the SEC tournament final. You think Tennessee's finally going to break the the thirty year drought against a not great Mississippi State team? Um, they go eight to twenty seven in that game and lose, uh, and then they end up in the the eight nine game against Oklahoma State, down two shoot a three, miss it, and lose that game. Uh, so, so that was actually the fourth team on my list, the, the first honorable mention. 2009, first, first Pearl team that wasn't just all rainbows and lollipops all the time. In the Oklahoma State 8-9 game, uh, they took 33 threes. Again, this is basketball in 2009. They took 33 threes. Leading uh, three-point shooter in attempts in that game, Wayne Chisholm, three of nine. Uh, so not, not what we wanted to be doing to try to advance. There's a lot of like among the tournament teams that we were disappointed with, there's a lot of the eight, nine game, you know, 2009, 2011, 2001. When you look at way, way, way too early bracketology stuff for 2022, that's Tennessee's seven, eight, nine transfer portals, not over, but, um, 
yeah, you don't want to be there. It, it lends the eight, nine game by default, lend, unless you haven't been in the tournament in X number of years, lends itself to, is this a good year or not? And, and that's, we need Jay Brantner on this podcast. Cause that was the, the still probably to this day, like was, is 2009 a good season or not? Uh, is, is uh, a, a good arguments on both sides as, as some might say. So um a testament to Tennessee. We're, so again, this is one of two podcasts. The fun one is coming soon. Uh, a testament to Tennessee that there's not like, I can nitpick some honorable mentions stuff, uh, but there's a lot more fun that's out there as well. Uh, there's some crushing tournament losses, as we mentioned, but a lot of them led to really fulfilling seasons the following year because you did have so many of those guys coming back. So uh, yeah, that's uh, the, Thank you for uh, being with us through some therapy and some counseling here uh, tonight. Uh, it is, it's, uh, it's been a joy to be back together with these guys. Uh, and again, this is, this is one of two. So we'll be back uh, for, for some additional podcasts on game day on rockytop.com right now. Uh, you can do for football, you can do our expected win total machine uh, for not just Tennessee, but for uh, Joel, we've got other sec East teams are up there on the, on the site right now. Today we posted uh, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and we'll uh, work through the rest of the teams in both the East and the West over the next several days. Yeah, So you, and if you do that, that data helps us put our preseason magazine together, all that good stuff. So you can find all that good stuff at gamedayonrockytop.com. Uh, our thanks to Chris and Gavin. And again, we'll be back uh, shortly, soon, in, in uh, I don't know, a week or so. We hadn't figured this out. In a week or so, maybe, uh, to talk about things that were uh, – more satisfying uh than this so uh our thanks to everybody involved tonight for joel and chris and gavin i'm will shelton and this has been the game day on rocky top podcast i was really i loved you know he was before his time Really Wayne Chisholm comes along in 2019 and he yeah. is making what, like mid-8s? Everybody starts wearing their headbands like Yarmulkes. Yarmulkes. I can't even say that. I mean, word. LeBron stole it from him. Prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we could have used him this year. Could have used that trailing three there this year. That game, Chisholm, 4-14, 11.6 boards, one assist, one block, four turnovers, four fouls. That, that is a beautiful stat line. That is, that's, that's Rasheed Wallace-esque. Bill Simmons had that thing for a long time about Rasheed Wallace never going past the three-point line on either end of the floor. That's what Wayne Chisholm probably did in that game.